Good morning, everyone. Again, I'm not Pastor Luke. Uh, he's here. I'm here. My name is David Thies. I'm one of the elders here at All Souls. And I have the privilege this morning of again bringing you the message. We're in the middle of Advent. And um, as we are deviating from our series on Galatians that Pastor Luke has been preaching through, um, we thought we would do a little bit of an Advent series, and uh, I'll again preach today, Scott will preach next week, and then Pastor Luke will preach on Christmas Day. So we're in the middle of that Advent series, where we have uh, adopted or uh, chosen a theme of the promised child and the various aspects of what that means. What does it mean to look forward to the promise of the Christ child? Last week, we considered the reality that in the Christ child we find promised victory. And we looked at how uh, consistent with the prediction made, the promise made in the third chapter of Genesis, the coming of the Christ child represented and accomplished our victory over sin and death. This week we look at another aspect of what it means to have the promise of the child. This week we consider the promised child who brings laughter. So as Brian prayed, the question we'll be considering is, are we laughing? Are we joyful? Do we have a right to be? Well, it made sense last week to consider something so heavy as victory because of the theology of it all and, uh, and our desire to feel like winners This week, though, we get to think a little bit more about what we see in our own earthly Christmas season, the lights, the laughter of children, even the giving and receiving of gifts. And we get to consider whether or not we have any right to be happy or joyful in the midst of all that. And these, these topics are important because we're not just discussing the factual reality of the promised child. But we're also asking the question, as did Paul in Galatians, the other book that Pastor Luke's been preaching through, we're asked the question as believing Christians, if you understand the truth of what Jesus did for us, why are you not living in the light of that truth? Or stated another way, is it possible to live as winners or as happy people in the midst of the dilemma of human existence? So, as we consider whether or not we can be happy or full of laughter at the time of Christmas, we again need to confront that question, not just in an evangelical sort of way as we speak perhaps to people who don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior, but even as we consider as Christians, as believers who understand the reality of what God has done for us and yet do not live in that reality. To do this, we look at a couple of different texts that we find in the book of Genesis. I'll read them in just a second. They're examples of where we find laughter in the Old Testament, in the stories of the predictions of the coming Christ child, and other things as well. But first, would you pray with me, and then I'll read the text. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you in a season that is full of light and laughter and joy, at least on the surface. And yet, Father, as believers, we know that this is a broken world and that ours are broken lives, not because of your intention, 
but because of what we have done. And so I pray, Father, as we consider examples of where the reality of your promise, promise, promises made and promises fulfilled, have provoked laughter, I pray that we will see the application to our lives that we might be a more joyful people. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, the first of these texts, both of which coming from uh, Genesis and the story of Abraham and Sarah, uh, relate the story of the promise made by God to Abraham and Sarah that they would have descendants. A promise that was first made to Abraham, he had to get come to grips with it, then ultimately Sarah overhears, and most of you know the story, that this is a couple that was I don't know exactly what age, at different times it's reported to us, but these were older people. And we're told that Sarah was barren. She was not capable of having children. So God has promised Abraham a child, and that makes no sense in the world to Abraham or to Sarah. God made this promise nonetheless, and Sarah hears it. You can imagine what her thought process was. Here's what happens in Genesis 18, beginning at verse 9. They said to him, and this is thought to be God saying to him, Abraham, where is Sarah, your wife? And he, meaning Abraham, said, she is in the tent. The Lord, sa the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. And now, now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah, so she was menopausal. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, No, but you did laugh. So God knew what was going on. So the story goes on. A year later, in fact, the promise is fulfilled. And Sarah, the barren woman, had a child. She laughs again, but it's a different kind of a laugh. Let's look at this part of the story. It's found in the 21st chapter of Genesis, the first seven verses. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, who Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son 
in his old age. So are you happy this time of year? Now, do you find it easy to laugh in the midst of all the busyness and what happens in a secular sense at the time of Christmas? Well, these two passages that we've read from Genesis provide a couple of different examples of laughter directed at, first, God's promise, and second, God's action at the fulfillment of the promise. It actually is the division of, in our outline, which you'll find on the back of your uh, bulletin, looking at that first section that I read, under the title, The Laughter of Disbelief at Promises Made. And then secondly, the second passage that we read from chapter 21, The Laughter of Amazement at Promises Fulfilled. A couple of different types of laughter. Now, I ask, are you happy? Do you find it easy to laugh? I, I think you could really ask what's about what's happening here in a different way and we'd get to the same point. How about you consider this? Do you find it easy to believe God's promises? I, I consider that a better question because we're really not talking about Sarah laughing at a good joke here. That's not the point. What's really happen, happening here is Sarah considering the reality of God in her life and then reacting. The laughter we see in Sarah on the one hand is her kind of saying, God, I, I, I'll believe it when I see it. Ha ha. And then secondly, it's Sarah acting in awe and amazement and wonder that the promise she thought was completely impossible in fact was fulfilled. Now as I said, the first reality we deal with here is the reality of the promise. So imagine Sarah. She's barren, we've read. In our culture today, we hear a lot about this. This is, this is something talked about a lot. I suspect she was menopausal, as I said, but I want to imagine Sarah as having had a hysterectomy. Birth was impossible, and yet God makes this promise. And that's what she's reacting to. God promising something that in her mind is impossible. And she reacts with disbelief. There's no way that God could do this. Here's her reaction. We find it in verse 12. So Sarah laughed to herself saying, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? Shall I have the honor of giving birth to a child? She's saying. Well, God reacts back. He does it through his conversation with Abraham. But he says in verse 13, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? That's the rhetorical question that Abraham is being asked. At the appointed time, he's repeating what he said to Abraham, At the appointed time I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. Well, maybe you're wondering as you hear that passage how it is that God knew that Sarah had laughed because she, remember she's behind the door and she's kind of hidden and then later on she denies it that she had laughed. But God knew it. I was reminded of what we used to tell our four children when they would go off and you're always worried about things that kids might get involved in. And so we used to tell our kids that we knew everybody in town and they shouldn't think that anything they got involved in would not make, their way, make its way back to us. We know everything. 
it worked 80% of the time. They sort of imagined that we did know everybody. We didn't, but we did know a lot of people, and occasionally we'd be able to come home and say, you know what I heard you did last night at that party you went to? So that's a little bit what's going on here. God challenges Sarah's laughter, her disbelief. He says to Abraham, why is she feeling that way? Isn't she able to accept the promise that I've made to her? Sarah comes right back at God, though, out of embarrassment or shame, and she says that she denied it. She says, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. But God says, yes, you did. You did laugh. Well, Sarah's not just denying the physical reality of her laughter. She's not just saying, I didn't laugh. I, I'm respectful. I doubted you, but I didn't laugh. She's not just saying that. She's saying that she, or she's denying that she failed to trust the promise that God had made to her. She's saying not something just about her physical actions, but what her attitude was about God's promise that had been made. Because after all, in a, in a human, earthly sense, God had promised her something that was an impossibility. So we can stop here in this first section with this first promise and the laughter that it provoked, and we can ask, do we know what God has promised us? When you consider God's promises for your life, do you strain those promises through the same lens that Sarah's using here? Do you impose upon God the physical realities of the world in which you live, and in doing so, completely miss the point that God can accomplish the impossible. Now, in an ultimate sense, especially if we think back to last week, considering our ability to consider ourselves to have won a victory over sin and death, that's really what we're talking about here. Do we believe Jesus and God when they say that they're going to come into this world and make it possible for us to live beyond our physical death? And that's an, that's an important question because especially at times like this in the year, but really throughout our lifetime, if we don't live as if that victory has been won, then it plays out in all kinds of, all kinds of ways. We can intellectually understand what God has done, but if we're not living in the reality of God's promise, then we're not living a very joyful life. And the people around us, our children, our family, our colleagues, the people who we interact with, they're not seeing what God wants them to see. So again, at Christmas time, do you believe that what we celebrate is God coming into this world as a person to make eternal life possible? And do you believe that this promise has been made to you? Are you living in that belief, even in the midst of what we face in our own lives, challenges, busyness, depression, failure, ups, downs, successes, our own pride, all the kinds of things that we experience as humans. Well, I suppose that as we consider this question and God's, the reality of God's promise for our life, our laughter is probably, if we're honest, in the first instance, the same as Sarah's. We laugh out of disbelief. I mean, I can't, I can't imagine physically myself beyond my physical death. I mean, that's the reality of my human existence. It takes something more 
to get me beyond that point. So I have a choice of what reality I live in, right? I can live kind of grounded in the, there's no way anything's going to happen to me after I physically die, or I can understand through my faith what God has done for us. And if we're stuck in the place that I've just described, the human approach, the laughter that is kind of, I'll believe it when I see it, God, then our Christmas celebration will be a disappointment. Because ultimately, even, and I don't care how many lights are out there on the Christmas tree or what your gifts are, you're ultimately going to face that question uh, that doubts the reality of God's promise. So the first reality, the reality of God's promise that was made to Sarah provokes the wrong kind of reaction, a reaction of disbelief. But thank goodness there is a second reality. And this is the reality of the fulfillment of God's promise. For you see, in fact, Isaac was born. This time Sarah can't escape the reality of God's fulfillment of his promise. It's a little bit like Thomas, the doubter, who needed to see the holes in Jesus' hands before he would say that he believed it. Sarah's giving birth to Isaac is pretty good proof that what God had promised would be fulfilled. And this promise, that had, and the promise that had been questioned by Sarah a year before, now provokes a new kind of laughter. This is one of amazement at the fact that God pulled off the impossible. Sarah says this in verse 6, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she's not saying there they're going to laugh at me. She's saying they'll laugh with me because of what I've been able to do. She said, who would ever have said that to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. The difference in the two types of laughter is that this laughter is grounded in the certainty of who God is, of God's nature. Because he is the one, the only one, who can bring life out of a barren body. This laughter that we find in the second instance is an acknowledgement of who God is. Again, it's not just about the physical sound that Sarah made as she was laughing. The physical sound she made as she was laughing was reflective of the awe in which she held all that God had done for her. Again, we can apply this to our lives. In the midst of whatever manifestation of death or dying you see in your world, can you appreciate the reality that eternal life is yours? It might be a physical illness or a, a failure, as I said before, maybe a dysfunction in a relationship that you have, a loneliness or a depression, emotions that are felt pretty acutely at this time of year by some people. These are all examples of one type of reality that we face in an earthly sense. And if we choose to stay there, we let these realities govern our life and we aren't very happy and we don't laugh very much. But the reality that God has fulfilled his promise to make eternal life possible is greater than all of these realities. So the question at Advent time is, how are you living? How am I living? What is your disposition? Are you happy? Do you find it easy to be joyful? As you are, as you come closer to being able to do those things, 
you are acknowledging God's work in an amazed kind of a way. For in fact, God really did bring life out of Sarah's barren body, and God really did come into the world as a baby, destined to die on the cross, that we might have eternal life. And God will use those other things in which we find ourselves sometimes mired. He will, he will use those things to bring an even greater degree of joy to us. And again, at this time of the season, I think there's a lot to be said for the childlike kind of innocence that we see as little kids celebrate something that they just have absolute confidence in. And we can do the same thing. For the difference between our world and the world Sarah lived in is that Sarah really can be cut a little bit of slack when she said, I'll believe it when I see it, because she, you know, it hadn't happened yet. She, even at the time the promise was made, she wasn't pregnant, I don't think. And it took a year before that promise was fulfilled. The difference between Sarah's world and our world is that the promise made to us that God would send a Savior into the world, Christ the Lord, who would live as a baby and then as a man and would die on the cross to make eternal life possible, that promise has been fulfilled. We don't have to wait for that. For if we are believers, if we are children of God, we are living in the midst of that eternal life now. It has begun. And that gives me great cause for laughter and for happiness. And I hope it does for you as well. Let's pray. God, make us a joyful people. As we will convince ourselves of so many different reasons we have to not be joyful. We turn our back on the reality of the fulfillment of your promise in our lives. So, Father, would you make that reality be even more real? That we might enjoy this season, not because of who we are or what we have done, because of the, but because of the birth of your Son, Jesus, that we celebrate. In his name we pray. Amen.